0: Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through historical lens. Today, we discuss how expeditions of western explorers inspired and stimulated the dreams of Chinese archaeologists in the early 20th century. At one time, Archaeology was not a place for outsiders. But in recent years, it has captured the public imagination in China with movie blockbusters about tomb reading like The Lost Tomb and the mysterious new findings of the Sanxingdui excavations. There is even a popular toy that lets children play archaeologists, a box containing a terracotta warrior replica buried in dirt and tiny excavation tools. You have to clean it with the tools to discover what kind of terracotta warrior you got. It could be a standing or a kneeling warrior or even an emperor. While modern archeology span was imported from the West, China also has its own tradition of studying antiquity. More than 900 years ago, Ouyang Xiu, who is numbered among the eight greatest writers of the Tang and Song dynasties, wrote a book about his studies of inscriptions on ancient bronze and stone pieces. He pioneered Jin Xue, or Metal and Stone Studies. This would later be known in the West as epigraphy. Archaeology involving excavation Scientific research and modern techniques started in the West only 150 years ago and was brought to China about 90 years ago. In 1873, Heinrich Schliemann, a German American businessman and early archaeologist, believed he realized his childhood dream of proving that the city of Troy described in Homer's epic poetry was real. He and his team of 120 discovered Primes' treasures, a cache of gold and precious objects. He named it after the last king of Troy. After three years of excavations, at the site in present-day Hesaric, Turkey, he then continued to organize and sponsor excavations of seven sites of the ancient Greek civilization, including those... Of the Mycenaeans in Greece. But his excavation of ancient Troy shook the archaeological world. And it revealed nine levels of occupation, one built on top of the other. The layer containing Priam's treasures was from a city about 1,000 years older than Homeric Troy. Recognized as a pioneer in the field, Schliemann was also a successful businessman which in turn founded his adventures in archaeology In China, archaeology was also the shared dream and passion of a businessman and a group of scholars a dream that was also fed by Western-led expeditions in China in 1857 one year before the 36 year old Schliemann would begin his excavations. Liu E was born in today's Zhenjiang, Jiangsu province. His father was a local Qing dynasty official. Liu grew up to become a renaissance man. He was a businessman, novelist, diplomat, musician, practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine, hydraulics experts, and epigrapher but Liu is best known for his satirical novel that takes on the city underbelly of Qing governance, the rise of the boxers, and the failing Yellow River flood control system. The book has two English versions. Mr. Decadent, translated by well-known Chinese translator Yang Xianyi, was published in 1947. The other, published in 1952, was titled The Travels of Lao Tan, translated by Harald Shadig, a professor of Chinese literature at Cornell University. Hu Shi, a prestigious scholar of the early 20th century, praised Liu's two greatest contributions, flood control projects on the Yellow River and his pioneering work with early Chinese scripts, which later set the stage for Chinese first archaeological excavations. But Liu wasn't perfect. His early businesses failed, including a tobacco shop, a TCM clinic, and publishing house. He also failed the imperial examination for a chance at a government career. Instead, he managed to serve as an advisor to the governors of today's Henan and Shandong provinces, which are in the middle and lower reaches of the Yellow River. Like his father, Liu was an expert on hydraulics. He helped the governors design flood control projects along the Yellow River. He later worked in the Yamen, the Qing government's ministry of foreign affairs. In 1897, a British-Italian company called Peking Syndicate Limited was incorporated in London. Its purpose was to invest in coal mining and railways in China. The Rothschild family was its main investor. Italian businessman Aghilo Luzzati was the company's first representative in China. As foreign investment was not allowed in China's mining sector, it was instead operated by a Chinese shell company run by Liu. This business brought Liu a fortune, making it possible for him to collect antiques. Including thousands of oracle bone inscriptions. Oracle bones were discovered by accident in 1899. Wang Yirong, headmaster of the Guozijian, the Qing's Imperial College, noticed strange inscriptions on animal bones and turtle shells sold for use in TCM. At the time, they were called dragon bones, a colloquial name. Even after farmers working near Anyang, Henan province, a place we'll return to later, discovered piles of the MIN pits. He bought about 1,500 of the bones from TZM sellers to find out whether they were some kind of Asian Chinese language. However, the next year, a force of eight Western powers invaded Beijing. Wang committed suicide with his wife, and daughter in law, his son then sold the bones to Liu. Liu collected more. He eventually amassed more than 5,000 pieces. After close study, he concluded they bore the ancient script of the little known Shang dynasty, which ruled 3,000 years ago from its capital in present day An Yang, Henan, where the dragon bones were found. In 1903, he published the results of his research on what we know today as the oracle bones. The inscriptions, mostly found on oxen bones and turtle shells, were determined to be used in divination rites. They remain the earliest examples of Chinese script. Liu's work inspired four scholars to spearhead research into the Asian Chinese language. Two of them. Luo Zhenyu and Wang Guo Wei were related to Liu through marriage. Their research made it possible for the other two scholars, Guo Mo Ruo and Dong Zuobing, to make breakthroughs in deciphering the Asian characters and in archaeological excavations. In 1928, Dong Zuobing led a team to start excavating the ruins of the Shang capital in Anyang, Henan province the origin of the oracle bones. Sponsored by ruling Kuomintang government, it marked the first time an archeological excavation was independently organized and conducted by China. In the years since then, 15 excavations were conducted at the site by pioneering Chinese archeologists such as Li Ji, a Harvard graduate and the first Chinese with a PhD in anthropology, and Liang Siyong, another Harvard grad of anthropology and archaeology, and the second son of the prestigious scholar Liang Qichao. Previously, there were only written records on the Shang dynasty. The unearthed ruins of a palace in Anyang provided visible and solid evidence about the Shang civilization. However, the Kuomintang had a shaky hold on power and archeological excavations were not a priority. But Chinese scholars could not wait any longer as Western adventurers and scientists had been conducting them in China for a long time. In 1900, the year Wang Yilong committed suicide, Swedish explorer Sven Hedin discovered the ruins of the ancient Lowland Kingdom at the edge of the Lop Desert In what is now Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. In the same year, Chinese Taoist Wang Yuanlu found a cave containing mass amounts of ancient manuscripts and documents, mainly about Buddhism, in the Mogao Grottoes complex near Dunhuang in northwestern China's Gansu province. In the following years, foreign explorers from Britain, France, Japan, and Russia bought, robbed, and smuggled most of the books in the library cave out of China. For example, Mark R. O. Stein, a British-Hungarian archaeologist, took more than 10,000 Dunhuang tests, which were later kept in the British Museum. French sinologist Paul Pilliot took another 5,000 items, which were then housed in the Louvre. When he arrived in Beijing on his way back to Paris, Luo Zhenyu and Wang Guowei, two of the four leading Chinese scholars on Oracle bone inscriptions mentioned above, visited him. Luo took photos of some of the Dunhuang documents taken by Pilate, who said that there were still about 8,000 manuscripts in the Dunhuang caves. Luo then called on the imperial Qing government to protect the remaining documents, and to devote more resources to the study of Asian languages and texts. But the Qing government had other problems. It was on the brink of collapse. In 1911, Luo Zhenyu and Wang Guowei moved to Japan after the fall of the Qing and China's imperial system. It was there that they focused on researching the Oracle bone inscriptions and Dunhuang documents based on the photos of Pilia's collections. Xuben Heding returned to China in 1927. His plan was to lead an international team of archaeologists, biologists, meteorologists, and historians to conduct a large scale survey in China's northwest. At the time, foreign expeditions in China often did not have to get official permission, but there was growing awareness of national sovereignty among Chinese elites. This time, Chinese scholars protested. They then reached an agreement. Chinese scholars would join headings expedition and all discovered antiques and documents would belong to China. All these foreign-led archaeological expeditions inspire Chinese scholars to conduct research in the country independently. That is end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Song Yiming, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor JT. We hope you enjoyed it.